0: The Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab number 113 for July 30th, 2007. Uh. folks, and welcome to the Mac Observer's Mac Geek Cab. I'm Dave Hamilton. I'm here with John Braun. Hi, John. How are you? What was that? <laughs> I told you I went Something to see... Something
1: was different. No, I know. I, I went to see I, the I police
0: heard... last night and uh, and just, you know, popped backstage and had Sting record that. No, that that was actually, uh, <laughs> that, that was uh, Robert Haselrig that uh, recorded that little bit of the intro for us. And there's more coming, and that's all I'm going to say about that. Oh, so. man, and the, he did, like, full lyrics. It was crazy. Yeah, yeah. So we got to uh, I do. Oh, no,
1: thank you, Robert. Very, <laughs> very, very inspiring. Yeah. Yeah. Uh,
0: so today's show, we have kind of all kinds of stuff. We, we've got, I, I went through and picked out topics that would give us uh, a little more room to, to elaborate than, than the quick uh, question and answer that we uh, often find ourselves doing. So we'll, uh, we'll see how that goes. Did you have a good week, John? A good, a good short week since we were late with the show last week, you know.
1: Yeah, and all sorts of things. Uh, no, a good week, I guess. No, no major things. Uh, Frank, uh, you know Frank, yes, this area from high school. He had his, the big four O, so we uh, had some partying this weekend. Uh, that was fun. But uh, yeah, we're all mortal, but that's no, good. Crowd. For for a limited this, uh, for a limited amazing, time. Yeah, but amazingly, <laughs> you know, it's cool to still be in touch with people that you went to high school with uh a few of them are spread out but anyways so that was the uh weekend activity was uh socializing
0: that's good that's good like i said we saw the police at fenway last night so i'm 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 tired not because we got fenway park oh they they
1: play uh something else there
0: right yeah that's right they play american (laughs) pastime um we didn't get back that late, but I'm just I'm just worn out. It was it was a long day. We were at a an fair and stuff yesterday too. But anyway, uh, let's get right into this. Let's let's listen to. Uh, actually, we'll read what Scott had to yeah. say. Scott has, uh, Scott says, I have the iStat widget among other things. It displays battery health. What is this? Also, this battery health number iStat displays vary each time I reboot my MacBook Pro. Sometimes it's it's sixty percent today. It's ninety. What does all this mean? Uh, and this is, like I said, this is a good excuse for us to just kind of talk about batteries and, and the way that works. So battery health, and John, you're going to correct me if I've got this wrong, as always, but uh, battery health, is the way I understand it, is the capacity of the battery as compared to the maximum capacity that it should have uh, having come from the factory. And that capacity is uh, reported in milliamp hours. Now, on a MacBook Pro... Uh, I believe that capacity is 5,500, 5,500 milliamp hours. Is is the the maximum that you'll get out of the factory? Now, th- this is not necessarily the charge state of the battery, but the maximum charge that that battery will accept. It, it Am I am I right so far here, John? Because I'm going to answer his question, then we're going to kind of go on to the 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 battery oh, stuff.
1: I'm with you so far. Okay.
0: Keep, keep rolling. Okay. So, uh, yeah. So. It's the maximum capacity. Now, if you let your, sometimes your max battery can get confused as to what its maximum capacity is. And this is why Apple and us tell you to condition your battery. And by condition, we mean drain it all the way down until the point where it, the computer shuts off. When it warns you, ignore the warning when you're doing this because sometimes the warning will come at the wrong time. So ignore the warning, let it go all the way down, then charge it all the way back up and then do it again. That should uh, teach your battery what its own capacity is. Again, they start at around fifty five hundred, right. and and then they, they they the MacBook Pro start at fifty five hundred. I think the I, I forget. I think the previous PowerBooks were forty four hundred. If if memory serves. Yeah. Okay. So
1: that's a, a rough measure, and and sometimes actually what they recommend for most portables that I've seen, at least when I got mine, was that you should. Um, You know, it's not explicitly stated, but if you poke around on the support site, but you know, fully charge and then fully. uh, What they mean by discharge is basically, yeah, let it, as they've hinted, let it run all the way down until you get that warning message. So what happens? Oh no, pass
0: the warning message, or until it dies. Yeah, yeah, and
1: then it goes to sleep because it, it will not get to a state where you lose everything. One would hope. (laughs) So yeah, I'm sorry. When it gives you that warning, there's still enough juice for it to to live, but it's going to be like, I'm not computing. I'm just going to sleep and please plug in something quickly. Right. (laughs) Um, But anyways, when you cycle power, sometimes I've seen this and the the utility I like is uh, X battery. Um, But sometimes when you do that all the way down and all the way up deal, you expand the range a little bit. So the figure you mentioned sometimes gets a little bigger. So one tip, as, you know, Apple suggests and we suggest, I think, is, is, you know, always, you know, power all the way up and then power all the way down past when you get the warning message. That will get your battery in a state because there's a little chip in the battery that kind of keeps track of, okay, what was the maximum power that I, you know, last saw and what is it now and all that. And that affects, as I think you pointed out, Dave, the uh, percentage reported. Now we've received there's a little mini tangent. You know, sometimes it never says 100. It says 99 and stuff, and I think that's for people that may have, you know, fully conditioned their batteries by going up and down.
0: Yep, yep. You can find all this out if you go to the Apple menu about this Mac and then click on System Profiler, More Info, which will bring you to System Profiler. uh, In the hardware uh, category, if you go down to Power, uh, and then scroll down to again. You have to be on a computer that runs on a battery, otherwise you won't see this. But uh, scroll yeah, down here. and uh, and and then there's battery info there, and that will tell you what the uh, what all that good stuff is.
1: Mm-hmm. So you see those figures now. Now again, X battery. Now I'm having a side issue with me, which may be a geek challenge because all of a sudden now I can't launch X battery. But X battery will show you. The uh, maximum current, the current, and it also shows a uh, graph that you can make, you know, go out to several days or months. and it, it, So it's interesting. You can see, and I've seen this in every battery I've had when I've used X battery because it keeps a log, is you'll see it declining and declining. and And this is, I'm sorry, it's just with the current, you know, lithium ion, I think is the current chemistry for the batteries is they don't last forever. Sorry
0: no i think i think apple predicts that their batteries will last through what 300 charge cycles i think is that
1: is that yeah, about i've seen right? hundreds you know three four or five hundred depending on the device and stuff yeah. like that so um after that then they say you know it may hang out at 80 percent for a while but, but i would say the more you charge and discharge the more you wear the battery out so if you can all avoid using the battery i would say do that the one caution that i read about though is don't Especially if you leave your machine sitting around for a while, don't let the battery get into a state where it's too low. Because, and I saw this as an aside in an Apple support article, we'll link to it. But your battery may get like so dead that it's like dead, dead, like nothing can talk to it, including the circuitry saying, "Hey, who are you?"
0: (laughs) Yeah, that's right. Yeah, absolutely. And and they say
1: leave it at fifty percent if you're gonna leave it away. You know, leave your machine sitting around for months, maybe Mm. past that, I would say. You know give your computer to somebody so they can use it
0: <laughs> yeah um, the, the the flip side to that is if you're someone who uses your laptop mostly at your desk and has it plugged in 99 percent of the time uh, remind yourself and, and apple actually give you a little iCal thing if you go to apple.com batteries they'll oh, they'll set up a little iCal subscription that was very impressive yeah because you don't want to let your battery just sit fully charged all the time either because then it it won't be able to hold a charge, or or its its maximum capacity will diminish uh, greatly if you're not cycling through the, uh, the the battery. So, it you know it it's one of those things where you don't want to you don't want to discharge it too much if you don't have to, but at the same time you want to make sure you cycle through it. I try to do mine twice a month uh, because I do tend to leave it plugged in on the on the on the desk, as it were. So twice mm-hmm. a month tends to Tends to be enough for for me, and I've had good luck with batteries over the years, with the exception of my MacBook Pro, which has been through three defective batteries. But that's uh, hopefully not a testament to my habits with them, and and simply just uh, related no, no. to the issues that they've had. No, so, and
1: Apple's uh, pretty good actually. We'll link if uh, we can find them, but you know they're pretty straightforward about you know uh, you know everybody's had problems with batteries not just apple because they all source it from p- pretty much i think the same places over at, you know, so. overseas yeah so uh you know you got a bulge uh, we've had some you know some people write to us i would say yeah if, if your battery is is very hot to the touch or bulging or oozing um yeah, don't turn use off your computer. it
0: yeah, take it out <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> that's very bad or you know oxidation and stuff like that which you know i, I don't i haven't seen on computer batteries because they don't sit around that while. Well. but you know if you see you know, kind of a white, you know, uh, uh, white, uh, crystalline stuff on the, on the contacts. That's, that's bad too.
0: That's very bad. <laughs> you get that on your batteries?
1: Uh, not computer batteries. No, okay. the battery batteries. So oh, yeah, things sure. that you leave sitting around for a while and I guess they're, you know, older yep. batteries. So yep. anyways, yeah, you know, keep, keep your eye on your batteries, you know, take good care of them. I actually, personally, I always get for every portable I've had and every portable device where I can do so except for my palm. um, you know the the battery conspiracy is I always have an extra battery for my PowerBook for my uh, yeah. phone, um, but again the Palm they kind of you know get into that same conspiracy as with the iPhone, right? Uh,
0: I don't know my well my yeah nah. the trio my trio is the first is it sealed? Palm it's got a no it's 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 got a removable battery the 650 but I think That's the 650 nice. was one of the first uh, of the trios that that did that I don't think the 600 had a removable battery but I could be wrong I didn't I did not own one so. Uh, So, Scott mentioned iStat Pro. Um, In digging around, I also found something that that a few of you have mentioned in the past called iStat Menus. And essentially, this is an alternative for one of our favorite utilities, menu meters. A lot of the menus are very similar. You've got CPU menus, disk menus, uh, RAM usage. And of those that are similar, I would say that iStat Menus... Looks a little prettier. Um, yeah, the you know the, the the interface is a little gooier. The the way the drop down menus look is a little slicker. But in the end, I like the information that that menu meters displays in the menus. It's it's a little again it's a little less uh, sticky and gooey, yeah. but it it displays more. That said, yeah. iStat Menus goes beyond that and will display temperature readings for all of the various temperature sensors in your Mac. So if you're into monitoring that, you can have that right in your menu bar, too. Oh, oh but wait, there's more. But wait, there's less. Yeah, go ahead. No more, really? Oh, yeah, sorry. Uh,
1: fan, well, it depends oh, on your right. machine. Oh, yeah, that's fan right. Fan speed. Now, unfortunately, I don't know what the deal is because I, I, I tried it recently because I was like, oh, iStat uh, Menus, you know, the yeah. alternative to menu meters, which we all know, and love, and rely right. on. And, yeah, I'm, I'm of the same opinion. It was, I think, more, and I think it has more options to make it more visually diverse if you want it to be. Yeah. Different fonts and stuff like that. But, yeah, the only problem is on my PowerBook G4, at least, and it could be just a wacky thing with the firmware or the chipset on this, the fan speed was all zero or, like, oh. fixed. So it was not detecting it, which I'd love to do because, I mean, this machine, I think, has only one fan. Right. Some of the machines have two fans. But, anyways, Mine I hear it going, yeah. and, and I'd, I'd love to see... You know the correlation to the temperature to see when when that kicks on. I mean, it always cools it off eventually. But uh, yeah. But yeah, it's a it's a it's a contender. <laughs>
0: <I> think. <laughs> All right, uh, Jared. Hi guys,
2: this is Jared from Dyersburg, Tennessee again. Uh, once again, love the show. Uh, keep up the good work. One thing that I was curious about, I haven't heard you really talk about it much. Is many of your listeners, I'm sure as I am, uh, will be going off to college uh, soon. And I was wondering if you guys would mind taking a few minutes to give just some general tips or uh, or, or tricks or programs that you use about security. Because, I mean, obviously you have a a very expensive machine, you know, going off to school with some possibly rather unscrupulous characters. So I was just wondering if you guys would take a few minutes uh, either on your show or just uh, email me. Uh, You have my email address from the last one. Uh, uh, Just maybe some tips and things that I could use when I go off to college to help keep things uh, such as my computer secure. Thank you very much. Love the show. Talk to you later.
1: Okay, I'm going to say, uh, I'm going to start off here, Dave, with with one aspect of security, which you may not think of, but I think is probably the most important, and okay. this is physical security. All right. Both in the sense of, I mean, if you're going to be in a, a school, I mean, you know, I, I still think, you know, today's schools are, you know, hotbeds of. You know, liberalism and no, <laughs> but but you know it's a freewheeling, generally you know open, uh, trusting atmosphere. Um, but fiscal security is a you know keep your machine with you. I mean, unfortunately, most people. You know, I work in a company and uh, I've heard of this. You know, everywhere. But you know, things disappear if they're not secured. So, if you're in a shared area, you know they have for at least the. I saw the current max and the you know the past max. Little things for a security plug-in. You never know. So past that, if you're not worried about people running off with your stuff, then the other thing, at, at the very least, is lock your screen or your terminal when you go away. I've learned this at work. I mean, I work in an R&D group with a lot of smart people, and uh, I pretty it was pretty much known that don't leave your computer open yeah, <laughs> for someone else to start goofing with it because you will, yeah, so, something, you know, you may get a little prank coming your way. <laughs> So anyways, I mean, but I see that, you know, a lot of times in so many environments, I mean, unfortunately, people tend to be trusting it open, but sometimes you have to, you know, guard against that if people are looking for an open terminal. So security machine at that, that level. So I'm starting with that because I think that's something a lot of people may not initially consider, you know, get a good case. I see a lot of, you know, kids these days with, you know, backpacks or whatever. I think, you know, crumpler. You know, we see them at the shows. I think Brian likes their stuff, and I think they make great bags. But you know, get a good bag, a comfortable bag. Uh, you know, always keep your eye on 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 your machine there, because yeah, I mean, you know, especially now, Macs are. Uh, you know.
0: All right. So what, what they like. once they're connected to uh, to the school's network, you know, what what what, ah. what can they do, right? Because there's there's you know, with those of us here at at uh, at homes, you know, in offices, we often control more of uh of what's going on certainly in our homes and home offices we can plug in our own router right we can put uh, in a and a with a mac you probably don't need a, a really you know high end hardware firewall but a nat router ie an airport router or a linksys router or a netgear it, it, mm-hmm. in nat mode pretty much acts as a kind of a a poor man's firewall and in many ways is enough be, because of the way that it works uh to protect your computer from from incoming attacks. That said, uh a lot of these folks, and imagine Jared, I don't know what school he's going to, but a lot of campuses just have campus wide Wi Fi networks. And of course you're gonna to want to connect to that and you're not gonna to want to put something, you know, between you and the campus Wi-Fi network when you're out in the quad or at the library, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So what does he do? John. Mm. <laughs>
1: Well, no, you're talking Wi-Fi. What else are you talking? Uh, But, well, yeah, you could do the Wi-Fi. Of course, you could, you know, in your room. Now, maybe you're hinting at this uh, (laughs) suggestion here. You threw me a bit. But, you know, you don't want to plug in directly to anything, I would say. Is that where we're going here?
0: Well, yeah. I mean, you don't want to, but I think in many cases you're going to have to, right? And and by directly, I mean the Wi-Fi network, right? You know, the campus-wide Wi-Fi network, you're going to connect to it you're not going to be able to avoid that unless you really okay. limit your options, right? So at that point, you're stuck with a, a software solution to or, okay. or solutions. So you have yeah.
1: Oh, all right. So again, uh, the,
0: sorry, so I didn't to mean to drive you. Yeah.
1: <laughs> but anyway, so the first option, absolutely. Now, it's always in a weird place. I, I never quite expect this. So you go to system preferences, sharing, firewall. Yeah. There you go. Option number one. Apple has a built-in firewall, I believe it's the IPFW, uh, you know, UNIX, uh, BSD, UNIX implementation, which is a fine firewall, uh, and, and it's tied tightly to the services that you're running, though of course you can set it up manually, so I would say, you know, turn that on at the very least. Now, a box uh, in there that that's of some interest is the advanced tab, and it has a few things. You have to decide whether you want to do this or not. So they have, you know, block UDP traffic, I would say, you know, lessens the chance that somebody's going to, you know, get you via UDP attack. So if you're using a program that needs UDP, and I think a lot of things like Skype and all that may. Yep. Um, so you may want to play with that one. Now, another one, enable firewall logging. Now, this is interesting, and this is getting to a, a topic that I enjoy. So firewall logging, if anything does get through whatever you're connected to, either your campus router and firewall or your personal router and firewall. If anything gets through, this is going to capture it. And then, you know, if you click on the open log button next to it, you're going to see some detail of what people are doing. There's also a thing here, enable stealth mode. I would say unless you have a good reason not to, I'd probably, you know, again, on a a, a corporate or educational network, not a corporate actually, educational, you you may want to click that one on just because there are certain basic low-level functions that people can run on a yeah, I'm more worried about people getting into a educational network and having a field day because they know it's open and it's meant for yeah. research and learning and people are going to take advantage of that. So, you know, if you can hide yourself I, from somebody I who's think looking for that.
0: If I can, I think what Stealth Mode does sure. is it blocks something called uh, ping responses or ICMP responses. Like pings,
1: ICMP low level. Yes. Yep.
0: So it, there, there's there's a protocol and, and it's commonly referred to as ping where you can, go to a terminal or open up an app that'll let you do the same thing, go to a terminal, type ping, space, and then the IP address of the computer. And if the computer's online and responding normally, it will respond and say, oh, yep, I'm here. And and then you can figure out, you know, if if you've got a good connection to it. And there's many, many good uses for pings. Uh, One bad use is to find out to ping a, a range of IP addresses and find out who's online and then... Once you know who's there, then you start beating down their door. If you oh. enable stealth mode, your computer won't respond to pings. Uh, doesn't mean that somebody won't be able to find out that you're online, but if they don't see you responding to pings, chances are they'll say, okay, look, you know this computer is protected more than the average bear, so let's go ahead <laughs> and it, it, you know move on to one that does respond to pings, and perhaps maybe I'll get luckier with that one than I will with this one that someone has clearly spent at least a moderate amount of time you know going out of their way to protect. So that's uh yeah, but, than the average pair. Yeah, well remember, you know, on a college network, <laughs> most of the uh most of the computers there, unless you're at a school that issues Macs, most of the computers there are gonna be PCs. So one of the things to that I would do if I was gonna be on a, a college network regularly is to make sure I've disabled Windows sharing on my uh uh-huh. in in the sharing pane there. Because that's one of the services that is most commonly attacked by uh, the folks that are out there, you know, sniffing around and, and doing these nefarious things. So you go ahead and disable Windows sharing. At least then your Mac isn't acting like it's a Windows machine, and and that in and of itself might be enough to, you know, get the attacker to to move on. The Mac is a fairly safe computer, right. but you know, you start opening these holes. I would turn off, you know, make sure remote login SSH is disabled make oh, sure yeah, yeah. ftp access disabled personal web sharing unless you absolutely need it disabled you know i would i would disable as much you, as, as you possibly could in the uh sharing preference pane uh unless there's something you absolutely need and then again enable the firewall to uh to you know to, to manage it appropriately for you
1: yeah so. and that's that balance between usability and uh Security. So, yeah, like you're saying, with the ports, you may want to have personal file sharing, which is 548. But uh, now I want to mention something quickly, which yep. I did for fun uh, in the early days. I don't have the time now, but in the early days when I had a cable modem connection, one thing I like to set up, and uh, many of you may have heard of this, but it's it's called a honeypot. So what you do is you set up, um, do it your own risk, please. <laughs> uh, you set up certain ports in your machine to go through your firewall. then what you do is you log those attempts and then if you're so inclined you may want to reach out back to the people that are trying to reach out to you and see what the (laughs) heck they think they're doing and i did that you know years ago when it was like you know if you're gonna knock on my door sure i'm gonna knock on your door sure and i think that's fair and ethical i mean if you and and that's what i see that's what, what what makes me cringe when you're talking about plugging into a public network or semi-public, like a cable network or an educational network, is without anything between you and that network, you're almost certain to be just immediately be like taken over with a zombie or something like that. You know, but, you know, apply the service packs, the software updates before you plug it directly, or get a thing like an inexpensive Linksys or whatever. Um,
0: <laughs> yeah, it worries. wouldn't. It wouldn't but be a bad idea. Fun. Yeah, it wouldn't be a bad idea in your dorm room if you are connecting via Ethernet. To put another router in there like like John said, like a Linksys or you know an airport if you've got one, uh it certainly adds one more layer of uh of complexity and therefore uh, some protection. So especially if you've and got one of those
1: machines. And the guy in Africa does not have millions of dollars to give you. What
0: do you mean? <laughs> no, no, no. He's putting it in my account tomorrow. <laughs> I gave him all the details today. It's good. <laughs> I'm just talking the...
1: Oh, the spam. How I, I hate the spam. I that know. could take a whole show. Let's, let's move on. <laughs>
0: uh, yeah, all right. We move on. Hey, got hey
2: guys. French from Wisconsin. Um, well, back I called and the about some router issues. And, uh, I guess I was getting hacked. Just want to let you know. I actually, just had too many stupid people on uh, as far as roommates go. Full college situation. Um, now I'm in different house and it works fine, but... Anyway, uh, one question I had real quick was I'm about to do a website uh, for possible podcasts I'm putting up. Uh, There's also going to be some other things going on there. I can't imagine traffic's going to be too high on the website. Um, my main question is about hosting it. Is my understanding in sites like GoDaddy is more just for the domain registration and not actually hosting it? Uh, so if I was going to host it locally, my ISP would not actually allow me to if my traffic got a little bit too high because they kind of cap it, um, as you guys probably understand. So, my wondering was uh, what's the best way to do that for probably the least uh, cost, the student, of source or poor. but uh, and going through something like .max, uh yeah. It's, I just hate that Mac. So it's not a lot of fun to deal with. Uh, just one it's thoughts. Thanks guys.
0: Bye. All right. Uh, so hosting, it, like you said, there's, there's a ton of options from uh, the, the free account that you get with your ISP uh, all the way up to buying your own server and co-locating it somewhere. Right. Uh, and, and we're going to, we're going to lop off the last and option here, Mac. Huh. And uh, yeah, he doesn't like that. Mac. Um, So let's talk about that. If you're going to host a podcast, that that can, even with a a small number of listeners, trust us, we know, uh, (laughs) with with any number of regular uh, subscribers, you're going to start incurring fairly, could start incurring fairly significant bandwidth. Now, the best place to start would be the free hosting account that comes with your ISP. Not... The, not hosting from your computer, like you said, your ISP will probably get upset at that and might even block the ports that would be required to do it anyway. Um, but usually, you've got a, an account with your ISP that that gives you, you know, somewhere between ten and fifty megabytes of storage out there. Uh, again, that's not a whole lot if you, excuse me, if you're doing a podcast, but it might be enough to to get you going or at least get a website set up. And then you can link people to your podcast. There's a couple of free hosting services for podcasts. Libsyn is is a very popular one. Uh, Just be careful that you don't give up more rights than you're willing to. Um, Web Archive also has some free uh, archive.org is the uh, URL. They've got some free podcast hosting options. Again, none of the free stuff is perfect, but depending on what you're doing, it might work just fine. Moving up from that, uh, like you said, you've got, GoDaddy, they actually have some decent hosting. Uh, you're right, they're more well-known for their domain names, but but they, they've got some decent hosting packages. There are other hosting companies out there. Um, Pair Networks is one at pear.com, and then DreamHost is another. Uh, most of these, though, are going to be pretty uh, watchful of the bandwidth that you use. So be careful that you don't start putting a podcast out there without looking and and realizing what the implications of that and what the repercussions of having lots and lots of people potentially download that, you know, even 50 people downloading a podcast. Uh, if you're doing a weekly show that can start to add up if you've got, you know, an hour long show, you might not want to incur those costs. And so a Libsyn or an archive.org might be a, uh, a better option. Dot Mac, you know, so pair networks and dreamhost I think you're probably looking at, you know, Minimum buy-in of of five or six bucks a month, I think, for their basic accounts. Dot uh, Mac is, you know, not a bad option when you start looking at it from a hosting standpoint. You get a lot of space out there. You get a gig of storage, and it, you know, it's a hundred bucks a year. So, and if you're a college student, it's eighty bucks a year, right? Seventy nine a year for educational, I think. So, I, I wouldn't rule out Dot Mac just because of this. Even if you only, even if you host your website at your ISP's account, and then host your uh, download files at your .Mac account. Again, they are still bandwidth limited, but your bandwidth limits there aren't bad. And if you go over, um, they're fairly lenient to a point, and then they'll just stop downloads uh, from your account until such time as the, the download counter can reset. So that's... Yeah. Uh, and I hope you don't <laughs> suffer the dig
1: effect or the Reddit effect, or, uh, which well, we have... Every now and then.
0: <laughs> oh yeah, no, and it's—I mean—that's a good thing, you know. It was—it uh, happens to sites that we represent all the time. We had one site today that iPhone Alley had a a great article that got you know linked from Gizmodo and it got dug and this that and the other thing and uh and he was able to make a quick arrangement with his hosting provider and uh, and sort it out. So, um, it, you know, it's not a bad thing to get exposure. You just need to be ready for it and you need to be somewhere that can that mm-hmm. can handle it on the fly <laughs> versus a 404 versus a 404 it's bad yes. for business it, it right. is bad for business yeah absolutely so those are my oh, thoughts on hosting we just to kind of close the loop for those of you that don't know we at uh the mac observer and really at backbeat media we host uh, all our stuff at servant we own a series of servers that uh that we have co-located down there it's funny we own these machines i've never seen them before i just ship them you know straight down to servant uh-huh. uh they plug them in and uh Put a CD in that we've sent down to them. It boots up. They type in an IP address, and then our team of Ukrainians huh. connects in and uh, formats the drive and, and installs the OS and does all that stuff over the uh, no. over the airwaves. So,
1: now, let me ask you this: for yeah. the, for the the you know, so a certain population out there, and I know you're one of them, doesn't mind command line and Linux and stuff like that. Right. Other people would prefer like the dot Mac. I think the the one you know big driver for that is. You have uh, Apple's tools that yes. talk to iWeb, and yes. uh, you know they have the whole suite of tools there that all target the Mac uh, platform for publishing your content. Now, on the other, and I would imagine, you know, some of these guys that I, I imagine run Linux. I, I think for a lot of what we do now is Linux. You're not going to get a pretty, you know, uh, nice-looking, necessarily functional interface. So I I imagine a lot of times you're, you know, just to the caution of some people. I suspect some of it you may have to be. Somewhat intimate with the OS, or it, it, or just it, get get a better suite of tools versus dot uh, Mac.
0: Well, or yeah, a, it, a different it, set of tools. It depends. You know, pair, pair networks. I know hosts all their machines on on FreeBSD. I'm not sure what DreamHost uses, but both of them have fairly comprehensive web interfaces for everything okay. you want to do. There's there's a nice. couple out there. There's there's Webmin, I think, and cPanel are both uh, <laughs> Unix packages that allow you total control over the machines without ever touching a command line. And uh, and they can nice. really make life easier. In fact, I, we, we've been talking about putting them on on, on our machines uh, just to save us the time and headache of, of, of command line stuff, though I don't do a whole lot of it anymore, so I don't really, they're okay. happy doing it, you know, so am I. Cool. So, well,
1: yeah. so I'll check with you because I was thinking of setting up a couple of generic Unix boxes, but mm. I don't want to deal with, command line oh but it's fun yeah it's John. kind of it no <laughs> how do you define fun yeah well this it is depends a meaning on meaning of the word I've, i'm not familiar with
0: it depends on how many hours it's been since i last slept and what time of night it is but uh <laughs> <laughs> yeah some sometimes the uh the command line can be your friend other times it can uh it's very um, flexible so that's that's one thing all right we move on where are we at yeah, we uh, Justin had an Justin? interesting thing to say. Yeah. yeah,
3: yeah. Hey, John. Hey, Dave. This is Justin again, calling from New South Wales in Australia. There's no audio backing track this time, but I have a very quick question about the pronunciation of a certain word. That word being solder. Uh, whereas you Americans seem to pronounce mm-hmm. it solder, and that is a fact that has always intrigued me. In fact, I didn't know what you're talking about for the first couple of uh, listens. Uh, that's it really, but the other question I had, or the other comment I wanted to make, is that I'm into a, a, a vintage sort of 1970s technology called wire wrapping, which you've no doubt have heard of, but uh, some of your listeners might not have. And it requires no power oh, yeah. to do it, and the, the bonds are as good as, if not better, than soldering or soldering. And it's, uh, the advantage, <laughs> of course, is you can unwrap it quite easily. I, I generally do both, I'll wire wrap it first and then finish it up with a good solder. I'm still enjoying your podcast after two or so years. Uh, keep up the good work, and you'll be pleased to know that I have not yet been caught. <laughs>
0: uh, and if you, uh, But if you were to play the game Clue, I'm curious as to how you would pronounce uh, the, the title of the gentleman whose last name is Mustard, because uh, I'm not sure, you know, knowing uh-huh. how, how he pronounces solder, I'm not sure how he would pronounce the word colonel. But, I would uh, say colonel or col- yeah, is it, is it col- colonial? I, I don't think know. so, but uh, no, he yeah, has a good point. No, but, absolutely. But we
1: understand each other. Absolutely. Um, yeah. But wire wraps. And I think he's talking about, so wire wrap is the concept that instead of a, you know, pad where you solder wire and, you know, get a little gun that gets hot and you get solder and flux and all that nasty stuff on a solder sucker you're into know, that sort of thing. Um, rather you have a post, um, where you then either take a hand tool, which I think is what he was hinting at. You yep. don't need power, but it helps. Right. And you basically take a wire. So what it does is it wraps a wire around a post, and the wire, of course, is connected to whatever device you want to be part of your circuit. But the nice thing is you don't have to heat up solder and have, you know, skills in that. Yep. Um, I mean... Now, what I've used is solder, uh, electrically powered solder guns, which you put the wire in the gun. And you but like a drill, and it drills it, so it's so much quicker if you got a big scale job. Right. Um, but yeah, huh. it, it sounds like you've you've wire wrapped some. Uh, yeah, I mean when I saw I saw that the first time I saw it was in a corporate lab, and I'm like, "Hey, solder wrap! Wow, you could do that whole circuit like really quick, huh?" And he's like,
0: yeah." yeah. Well, <laughs> the, the nice part about wire wrapping is it lets you build a circuit, test it, and then say, "Oh, okay, well, really we should cut this pathway uh, this way." And you can unwrap and rewrap without having to, you know, melt your solder and or use the, the so,
1: as I was talking, the solder sucker. So the when you solder
0: mess, sucker, right? mess,
1: no, that's what yeah. it's called. It was a little vacuum pump. And basically, right. yeah, when you mess something up, you reheated the solder, you hit the vacuum pump. It sucked up the solder. Eventually you have to empty it because you had all this gunk inside of it. But right. Yeah. So unwire wrapping was a lot better than desoldering.
0: Mm hmm. So when you're building CPUs, or at least in the old days, before you do uh, computer uh, modeling to build CPUs, you, you, or integrated circuits, I guess you, you we call them ICs, right? Uh, you, you'd wire wrap it first, build a prototype, yep, okay, this is what we want, all right, now, you know, then you get smaller and smaller and smaller, and eventually you're even past the solder oh, yeah. phase, but that's, you know, there you
1: well, go. Well, uh, but, no, what I've seen is, the problem is now, you, 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 you don't have sockets anymore, unless they're... Uh, you know, particular type of socket, but you're talking mostly now surface mount. Yeah. Which, if, if you got a good enough hand to handle surface mount soldering, desoldering, more power to you. Your friend Bob <laughs> was pretty good with that stuff, with <laughs> what
0: he did with our, our scanners and our CB radios back in the day. Yes, he was, to make them do things they were meant to, but were somehow... He decrippled them for us. He liberated <clears throat> their functionalities.
1: Pretty much, if a if a radio is meant to cover from one frequency to the other, there shouldn't be any
0: gaps. That's right, and uh, surface. I believe tools. that he
1: believed that, and he he he, he yes, he brought the <laughs> machines back to their full functionality.
0: All right, going back to a topic that we talked about uh, a number of shows ago here.
4: Hi, John and Dave. I just want to make a quick comment. Uh, you had a caller the other day who had found a workaround uh, to send mail from a Starbucks uh, using the internal. Uh, send mail uh, server that, runs, uh, that can run inside OS X. Uh, your guys' answers I think were spot on uh, using alternative SMTP ports, or better yet, using SSL. Uh, but I wanted to sort of stress to your listeners to not ever use the internal uh, send mail uh, server in their Mac to send mail, whether it works or not. Uh, as a system administrator of uh, a mail server myself and dealing with the huge volumes of spam that, uh, that we get, uh, we typically employ uh, RBLs, real-time black hole lists, a uh, number of different ones. And what a lot of these RBL servers do is block mail or just simply reject mail coming in from IP addresses that are A, known to be from spammers, and B, known to be in large DHCP pools. And what I mean by that is IP addresses that are handed out by the Comcast and the AT&Ts and the Earthlinks of the world, but also likely IPs that are handed out at Starbucks and other public Wi-Fi spots. So that when my mail server sees an inbound message coming from another mail server running on this person's laptop on an IP address, that is within a public known DHCP domain, it's going to get kicked right back again because it knows that's not really a real mail server running on a static IP address like mail servers should. So the likelihood of this gentleman's mail getting through all the time is extremely low when you are running a mail server on your own machine on a publicly served DHCP uh, IP address just wanted to pass that along it's a really bad practice to do that uh, because more and more now these servers are just blocking uh, what could be spam simply based on the IP address it's coming from maybe not be the nicest thing in the world but it is extremely effective and I'm not about to shut it off on my machine thanks guys
0: Uh, you're actually absolutely right Justin so let me back up a little bit and explain how these RBLs work the idea is we know or we decide that we know that certain groups of IPs are IPs from which we do not want to res- receive mail. And we'll, we'll talk in a minute about how we decide that. But let's say we've decided this certain group of IPs. So uh, in comes the request to uh, send some mail to our server. The first thing our server does is says, what's your IP address? And it really doesn't even say that. It knows because when you connect to the server, unless you're doing a whole lot of spoofing, uh, it, we know what your IP address is. We have to. We've got to be able to respond to you. You say hello, we say hello back. So the first thing that happens is we check the IP address that's coming in against one of these uh, black hole lists, and the black hole lists are basically built as DNS lookups. So we look up an address and not with the normal DNS server, like the ones that you'd get from your uh, ISP, but you look up against this special DNS server that's built solely for this black hole list. And the idea is if you get a rejection back, or if you get a a non-answer where it it says, look, this IP isn't in this server, then we know that the address is good. We can accept mail from it. If we do get something back and it says, yep, I've got it, then we know, okay, the message is bad. And uh, and we can actually send a, a 550 response usually back to the person. Automatically happens. The message is never even accepted. Nothing is accepted, other okay. than uh, the the opening of the connection to the mail server. As Justin said, very very efficient. At now I'm curious. Yeah. Um,
1: real time. How real time? I mean, is this updated hourly? And I got there's, there. There's a group of people that. You know, but how, how real-time, I mean, to me, real-time means, you know, <laughs> okay, well, the... immediately, but but what's your observation as far as, you know, I mean, does it shift in, you know, depending on, you know, wh- whatever, you know, bad people are doing on the internet as far as, you know, setting up rogue servers and all that, or how does that work?
0: Okay, so the the real-time in the real-time black hole list, to, to me, I always interpreted that to be more about being able to access the list, right? So you're, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm not caching a copy of the list, though we could. Uh, what we're doing is we're looking at the list directly, right? And and querying it in real time. So the message com the, the the request to send a message comes in from an IP, and in real time, we're checking that against one of these mm-hmm. lists, either a cached gotcha. copy or their copy, and deciding whether or not at that moment uh, to accept it. So. How often? But but your question is valid. How often are the lists updated? And really, they're they're updated constantly. Um, we and I'm, I'll I'll tell you which ones we use because I I, I believe that I can trust our listeners uh, that we don't have a whole lot of spammers waiting for this moment in time to know which RBLs we use <laughs> to uh, pounce. Yeah, But if you know what, if you are you've waited long enough, here you go. Uh, <laughs> we we use two. We use well two. With a caveat, uh, SpamCop is is one of the ones we've always used. Now, SpamCop mm-hmm. is a database that's built from people submitting spam. So, if you get a piece of spam, you can submit it to SpamCop, and then SpamCop parses the headers and says, "Okay, you know this IP uh, sent in what this user called spam." If we get enough of these in a concentrated period of time, then we're going to go ahead and add that IP to the the real time black hole list, and then cool when boy. some.
1: Vandalism
0: or yeah. somebody. Yeah. If you've got somebody that's, you For know, sending out a lot of spam from an IP, chances are it's not gonna last more than, you know, thirty to ninety minutes before it's in Spam Cop and then bam, we can start to you know get rid of it. So it's a very effective mm-hmm. tool. Um, and then as, as IPs are are reported sending good mail, Spam Cop actually goes in and expires oh. them from the list. So nice. you know, it, it yeah, most of these lists are, are very well kept. So we use SpamCop. Then we use one from a, uh, an organization called spam House, S-P-A-M-H-A-U-S. Mm-hmm. And they actually have three lists. They've got the S-B-L, the P-B-L, and the X-B-L. And I believe the P-B-L is the one that, uh, that uh, Justin was referring to. The P-B-L is a list of all of the IP blocks from... Uh, you know, Comcast and, and Cablevision and Time Warner and all of the IPs that you and I get at our homes, right? And the ISPs actually submit this to the PBL so that anyone that subscribes to this can say, okay, look, I don't want to get mail from people at their homes. If you have right. a, a, a mail account, you know, if you've got your your internet service over a cable modem from... Time Warner over a DSL from Verizon, you should be using Verizon's outgoing mail server as your mail server. And if you do, we're going to go ahead and accept it. But if you run your own mail server, we're going to block it. Now, why? Well, because though you might be doing something that's absolutely fine and you know what you're doing, a lot of machines, a lot of viruses out there act as their own mail servers and start relaying mail. (laughs) The the easiest way to block that is to say, okay, well, let's just block mail from all of the dynamic addresses out there really people shouldn't be using them as mail servers anyway it probably violates yeah. their terms of service and even if it doesn't there are better options uh, so so that's what the PBL does the SBL and the XBL the SBL I believe is just spam houses version of SpamCop, but I might be wrong and then the XBL is actually a, a compilation of various lists uh, one of them is the, the comp the composite blocking list which is actually a great uh list, though uh, we've had our own problems with it in the past um, but all three of those are 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 queryable in one query through spam house, and so it's it it's a fantastic resource and and like Justin said, extremely effective at at stopping the the really bad uh, spam plenty of spam still gets through, so those of you that were ready to pounce you know t- don't worry, we're not living without spam here. Uh, but, uh, but, but this helps, you know, deal with the, the most uh-huh. egregious offenders. So
1: there you go. So yeah. if you're, if you're running your own mail server for certain reasons. Yeah. Take off the tinfoil hat.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, <laughs> uh, uh, <laughs> uh, if you're, you're running fooling your own, anybody. if oh, you're running oh, your own mail oh. server, like I do, I, I, I have a mail server here in my office and it's because. No, I know if you're static,
1: but if you're temporary, I'm you actually, know, a home user, or, you know,
0: yeah, I'm actually not static uh, in the office anymore. I, I was for a while and then realized I didn't need it. But what I do is I, I run our own mail server here internally so that there's some things that we we send out that I want to be able to monitor very easily. Monitoring the logs on the BackBeat Media mail server is an exercise in futility because so much mail comes in and out of them. So there's some stuff that I really want to have a log over and, and see, okay, did that go out? Yep, okay, it was successful, great. And so what I've done is I've configured my mail server here to uh, relay all mail through either my comcast server which is my local provider or through the backbeat media mail server which even though i'm on the pbl here i've told the backbeat mail server you know what let all the stuff from my ip through because we're, we're pretty sure that uh, you know we, we don't need to test the blacklist for my ip so uh but that but that, if you want to run your own mail server just configure it so that all mail is is forwarded through uh, one specific outgoing mail server, and you could even do that with uh, authentication, so that you're you're sure to have a secure channel uh, and all that good stuff. Right. So
1: yeah, I would say if at all possible. Unfortunately, at least uh, I don't know if anybody out there works for Optimum Online. I'm waiting for my encrypted email.
0: You still can't send uh, SSL email. I try email? to
1: connect. No, I'm I'm plain old pop, yo.
0: And you can't do SSL
1: or TLS. I try, and it says, take off, eh? No way, dude. That's crazy. Hey, come on, man. They're talking speed. They're not talking security. This wow. Much here. I'll try again, but, you know, I looked at their online help, and it said, you know, and I probed the ports I would expect, like, what, what 587 or whatever. Yeah, that
0: that that's, is. well, no, 587 is, there. Well, there's a yeah, few, uh, I'm sorry. 143, maybe 993, huh. I think.
1: Yeah. Well, looking here, I, I'm, I'm looking at Eudora. They have an SSL. Yeah. Uh, pref here. I again. I don't recall the exact port, but it has required, optional, required. You know, alternate port. I'll hey, try would, it again. I know. Would, Gmail would you rather though, just so have a
0: it works? Would you rather just have a pop huh? account on the on the Backbeat Media server, John? No. Uh, oh, geez, sorry. That's the mast. What's the man? What do you mean? That's the man. <laughs> <laughs> we we run that server here. We we can get you an account. You know, you, you you've been and with the company create... basically as long as I have. So. I gotta
1: create security boundaries here. Oh, I see. All right. <laughs> okay. All right. What's that training. I got?
0: Oh, I see. That's the main. Yeah. So you're willing to trust your mail unencrypted through Opt Online, but not encrypted through the server that I might be able to uh, spend my entire day sniffing packets through? Is that right? Do you need a timeout? <laughs> uh, yeah. Actually, I do. No, and, we can talk and, about that. Actually, no. That's cool. no. We're not gonna talk about timeouts. Um, but <laughs> encrypted mail services. Oh yes, yeah. We can talk about that. That's right. Uh, the New Media Expo is uh, end of September. September twenty eighth through thirty. It is. Yeah, we got to make our travel arrangements, John. Let's uh, oh, let's then. talk about that a little bit after here. You didn't? Oh, uh, nice. Yeah. Um, Cashfly hosting, of course, is where you've downloaded the show, and that's the missing equation to our hosting relationship that I t- was talking about before. We don't host oh, the yeah. podcast at at uh, on our computers at Servant. We host that through Cashfly because they're much more equipped. To deliver uh, this sort of content, at high high bandwidth stuff uh, without any processing or anything, much, much better to do it that way. But anyway, that's that. Oh, yeah. The podcast marketplace this month includes A5 desktop speakers from Audio Engine, BB Edit from Barebones Software, one free download from audible.com with a link coming soon, and PDF pen from Smile on My Mac. The Backbeat Media Podcast Network is where you go to. Sponsor this show. And uh, we've failed all the way through the show to mention feedback at MacGeekGab.com and 206 666 Geek. We have failed. We got so into jibber jabbering here that uh, we, you know, well, Four I, 3 Yeah, 206 666 4335. That's right. Yeah. For the alphabetically challenged. Uh, <laughs> alphanumerically challenged? I'm not sure what. Alphabetically. Uh, alphabetically challenged. Well, it's only if they've got a phone that doesn't have uh, the, you know, numbers on it. You, you know, I read an article. It. it was
1: funny. I'll link to it. It was a guy who who has continued to lease his AT and T Princess phone for like fifty years or something.
0: The the big one that's a big weapon. It's like ten pounds, and you could knock it, people out it with is, it.
1: But hey, it it will it will
0: outlive you, my friend. Oh, I know it will. Absolutely, I think we'll make it through. A <laughs> that's when they blast. built things
1: in this country to last.
0: We're gosh, done you now.
1: I was gonna say, it.
0: gosh darn it! Gosh darn it! That's right.
1: You know the thing about those old phones? Yeah, what, what There's about... There's one thing that would
0: never happen with those phones. With those old phones, it would be nearly impossible to get caught. Maydard.